Good morning. Can I get one of these? Can you stand to your feet? Just, just, you have to do this. How many of you have felt the presence of the Lord today in worship? Come on. Can I tell you something? That's why we do church. It's to be in the presence of God. To connect with Him in an intimate way. You see, some of you are here today and you have a thought as to why you're at church. Maybe it's to check the box. Maybe it's to cast your cares upon God because the Bible says that He cares for you. Maybe it's to build relationships. Maybe somebody drug you to church kicking and screaming. The bottom line, the reason why we do church is for the audience of one. It's to bring God praise. You know, we get so wrapped up in what God is doing for us. But God is wrapped up in what we're doing for Him. It is our praise that authenticates our relationship with Him. It is our desire to connect with God in an intimate way that brings about the goodness of God in our lives. You see, I don't know how to fully explain this. My finite mind cannot do it. But there's something that happens, the Bible says, that when we begin to praise Him, that our praises ring out in the heavenlies and it connects with the ears of God and because of it, He opens up heaven and He pours out His glory in our lives. It's at that point that your needs become very small because it's at that point the Bible says that God will inhabit the praises of His people. And that's where liberty takes place. That's where the yoke is broken and the burden is lifted. That's where we realize things like peace, joy, hope, and comfort and encouragement. That's where we realize the promises of God in our lives. When you've made mistakes, it doesn't matter because that's where you realize the second chance of God. And if you've experienced the goodness of God in some way in your life, right now, I just want you just to put your hands together and begin to praise Him because He's worthy of our praise. Today you may have come to this place needing needing your questions answered. He will answer your questions if you'll avail yourself to Him. Come on and praise Him if that's all that you can do for God. Today, I want you to rise up and praise Him for He is worthy. He's the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning, the end, the first, the last. He's the author and perfecter of our faith. He is the bright and morning star. He is the Lamb of God, the Lion of Judah. He is our everything, our all in all. The Bible says that He's the great I am, not the great I was. Today, God wants to meet you right where you are. Some of you are so full of despair. And God will take your despair and turn it into joy. Some of you, this morning, on the way to church, you let this road construction deviate your path and you're like, well, I'm just not going to go to church today. And then something began to tug at your heart. That tug at your heart was not me. It was not this church. It was God wanting to connect with you today in an intimate way. Wanting to be face to face with you. The Bible says this. Can I just do this for a few minutes? Because I just feel the Lord here. David found himself in a position to where he did not know what to do. Lost and alone in a cave. Had even made some mistakes. But he said this. He said, God, the one thing that I ask, and this is all that I seek, 
is to dwell in the house of the Lord. Some of you have been seeking a lot of things and it hasn't been the right thing. Maybe it's even a good thing, but it's just not a God thing. Today, God wants to do something in your marriage, your finances. In fact, some of you are on the threshold of making the biggest decision in your life. Today, you'll open up your heart. God will direct your path. The Bible says that if you'll trust in the Lord with all of your heart, lean not upon your own understanding, but in all of your ways acknowledge Him that He'll make your path straight. Some of you need your paths to be straightened out. Some of you are lonely in the midst of, of a large crowd. Some of you are lonely in your marriage. Today, God wants to meet you. Today, God wants to restore you. You came to the right place. It's not by coincidence that you are here. It's by divine appointment. If your heart is heavy today, allow God to massage, manipulate, and to encourage you. Because He can take your mourning and turn it into dancing. Some of you need to dance. God is with you. Father, we just thank you today. God, for connecting with us today, it's about you. Lord, this word is about you. I don't want to get in the way of this word, God. I don't want to add anything to this word or take anything away. I, God, I just desire to be your mouthpiece today. God, be with us as we break your word. Be with your people in the midst of their needs. Lord, it's in your wonderful name we pray. Amen. Put your hands together. Come on, one more time. You can be seated if you can. Awesome crowd, balcony, you look great. We had an awesome crowd in the first service today. But I believe this crowd is going to be the crowd. Woo! Yeah. And if you're watching us on our internet campus, we want to welcome you today. I know God's got something in store for you. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to take your Bibles out and turn with me to Jonah chapter 1. Weak. Take your Bibles and turn with me. You're going to redeem yourselves. To Jonah chapter 1. That was better. Hey, two things that I want to do before we move into the Word today. First off, I've got a dear friend that is here with his wife, Kirk Devier, who is a friend to this church, and his wonderful, lovely wife, Jenny, who is a friend to this church. They have been a partner with this church. They are the marketing company, the marketing arm for our church Uh, Kirk owns the 219 group. More important than that is that Kirk is running for mayor. And I want him and his wife to stand up and put your hands together for one of our city officials. 
we love this dude and a lot of reasons because of his wife but we love him as well hey I'm just kidding but thank you for being here today um, God is has you embarking upon a journey that is overwhelming but I want you to know this church is praying for you thank you we love you also um, let me say this yesterday we had the opportunity as a church to play in a golf tournament in Southern Pines we took um, the staff we put together a team and we went to Southern Pines to play in a golf tournament for team challenge there were like 250 some people that played in this tournament it was a huge huge tournament um, let me just say I carried the team <sighs> my back today is hurting because of it but um, we won I don't know how we won but we won we took first place God just smiled upon us and we were hitting straight and true and uh, it was an awesome day so I want to thank you for that I, I meant to bring the trophy this morning we'll put it online a little bit later on to celebrate with you also today is a great day um, for another reason today is my wife and I's 23rd anniversary <laughs> My wife is the greatest gift that God has ever given me. She is um, the epitome of, of greatness in my life. She holds my feet to the fire. She tells me what I need to hear, not necessarily what I want to hear. And on top of that, she's hot. So, you know. Um, and she is true on the inside. I love that most about her. Um, so, hey, hey, here's the deal. We're in uh, week number two, installment number two of our series, uh, summer Blast from the Past. This series is a cool series. This is the third summer that we've done this series, um, or a series like this, where we take all of the series, the teaching series from the previous year, we let you vote on the top um, four or five um, teaching series that you want to revisit. We'll take those teaching series and we'll shake them up and um, we'll put them back together kind of in a new, fresh way and uh, repackage them and give them to you. One of the highest vote-getters was the series Deadliest Catch. Woo! Woo! Okay. Um, we had a great time with Deadliest Catch. Deadliest Catch was a series where we just basically dissected the book of Jonah. The, the experience that Jonah had where God just came down and tapped on Jonah's shoulder and he said, Jonah, I have a mission for you. I want you to go and preach to Nineveh. Jonah was like, mm, thanks, but no thanks. And Jonah went on his own journey, and as he began to go on his own journey, he got on this boat, and this storm blows up, and the people on the boat discover that Jonah is the reason for their, uh, their calamity, and so they throw Jonah overboard, and along comes this big, huge well, and gulps Jonah up. This is going to be a well of a sermon, by the way. Um, okay, for those of you who will get it later. All because of disobedience. Let me say this to you. There are things in our walk with Christ that are deadly to our faith journey. There are things that we allow to come into our lives that should never be there. And because they're there, they cause us to be off the path that God would have us be on. One of those deadly or deadliest catch is, if that's correct, is disobedience. Let me set this up for you this way. How many of you have seen this, the TV show, Deadliest Catch? You've seen it? 
I haven't watched a lot of that show, but about two years ago I'm watching that show and something incredible takes place. On this particular show, you have these fishermen, these Alaskan king crab fishermen. They're going out trying to find Alaskan king crab, braving the barren, Bering Straits and these seas that are 30 feet tall and these wind squalls and all of these difficulties. Well, on this one particular episode, one of the fishermen goes overboard. When he goes overboard, something incredible in my mind happens. All of these different pieces come together. All of these different people come together. They all have this mission. Like the captain, he becomes the lookout and he sounds out, man overboard. He immediately calls for another boat to come to help in the search. Uh, another individual puts on this swimming suit so that he could jump into 29 degree water. Another individual takes a flotation device and he throws it out. And another individual runs beneath the deck and prepares the medical facility for hypothermia and shock. And all of these pieces coming together in this synergistic synchronization, it, it's so incredible. What is so cool is that each one of them created within themselves a movement, if you will. They gathered together and each component became a movement. And because of the process, this individual was rescued. The more that I thought about that concept, I thought, well, that's the church. In fact, that particular episode could be cut from the fabric of the church because God has given us a mission. He's given each and every one of us a mission and that mission at times can be difficult. That mission at times can be dangerous. It could be uncomfortable. In fact, it's always uncomfortable. But when we come together in motion and we all fulfill our part in the mission, there is this synchronization. There is this synergy that happens and the lost is rescued. But here's the question. Are you doing what God called you to do? You see, each and every one of you in here, you have a mission, a divine given mission from God. The moment that you were born, God flipped the switch and he placed people, places, things, and needs in your path in hopes that you would engage the mission. Are you engaged in the mission? The mission that God has for your life. Is your family engaged in the mission? Here's one. Are you engaged in the mission of this church? That's significant. Because if we do not fulfill the mission that God has for us, holes are created. And you know what happens? The lost is not rescued. Therefore, those in need end up dying. Why? Because we fail to do our part. That's what the story of Jonah is about. That's the story of Jonah in a nutshell. In fact, I want to take you to chapter 1 of Jonah. Let me say this to you. I want you just to stand to your feet. I'm going to read a chapter. Can I read the whole chapter? I'm, I'm going to. This is kind of an add-on this morning. But I want us to kind of reacquaint ourselves with the story. Because to be honest with you, many churches don't preach the book of Jonah. And I'll talk to you about that, uh, why they do not in a few minutes. But sometimes... In many churches, the last time that you hear anything about Jonah is in children's church. But there's so much in the book of Jonah that we can relate to. Here's Jonah right in the midst of the mission of God for his life. Some incredible things begin to unfold. 
God's tapped him on the shoulder. He's given him a mission. I want you to place yourself in the story today. Here's what it says. It says, and by the way, there were four parts to this particular series. Four parts last, we did this series last February. There's no way that I can look at all four parts. I'm just going to give you some nuggets from each. And um, I'm going to take some time doing this. So I want you to bear with me today. It says this in verse 1. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up for me. But Jonah, here's Jonah. I think many of you can relate to this verse. Verse 3. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed to Tarshish. God said, I want you to go here. And Jonah said, "Mm, I'm going there. He became disobedient. He went down to Joppa where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. He's in disobedience. God's given him a mission, but he said, not going to do it. There's a penalty for that disobedience. I want you to see that. It begins in verse 4. It says, Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up, and all of the sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his own God, and they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below deck where he had lay down and fell into a deep sleep. And the captain went to him and said, How can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us and we will not perish. Then the sailors said to each other, Come, let us cast lots to find out who is responsible for this calamity. And they cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. I love that. Can't win for losing. Thought he'd run from God and they cast lots and the lot still fell on Jonah. God can get your attention. Verse 8, so they ask him, tell us who is responsible for making all of this trouble for us. What do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? He answered, I am a Hebrew. I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the land. And this terrified them. And they asked, what have you done? (laughs) Know this. The things that you do in your life don't only affect you they affect others we'll look at that they knew he was running away from the Lord because he had already told them so the sea was getting rougher and rougher so they asked him what should we do to make the sea calm down for us he said pick me up and throw me into the sea he replied and it will become calm now I want you to understand something Jonah was not like volunteering to be the man off the ship to be a hero Jonah wanted to die He didn't want to fulfill the mission that God had given him because it was a very, very difficult mission. So he says, throw me into the sea and it will become calm. I know that it's my fault and this great storm has come upon you. Instead, the men did their best to row back to land, but they could not for the sea grew wilder than before. Then they cried to the Lord, oh Lord, please do not let us die for taking this man's life. How many of you know that people have a tendency to throw you under the bus? He's about to be thrown under the bus, so to speak. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man. For you, O Lord, have done as you pleased. And then they took Jonah, threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. I I love that. Can you imagine when they threw him overboard? That had to be a beautiful sight. And 
I think the next part of the verse, verse 16, it says, As the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. What's beautiful to me is that Jonah is off course for his life. He's still in disobedience, but God still uses his disobedience to reach others. See, he didn't want Jonah to miss his mission. And in the midst of his of his disobedience he would not let him lose focus of his mission because here's Jonah drifting away and here's these guys praising God and all of because Jonah's disobedience these men came to the realization of who God is the anointing of God was all over Jonah the same is true for you God wants you to do certain things he's given you a mission but yet sometimes you just turn around and run from it but every so often he reminds you of that mission do you know what I'm talking about He puts people and places and things in front of you and begins to prick your heart, like do something about it. Then verse 17, I I don't know which was better for them, to see the sea calm down or to see verse 17 happen, but the Lord provided a great fish to swallow up Jonah. That had to be a sight. And Jonah was inside the fish for three days and three nights. Let me pause there for a moment. Many of you are in that place. You're inside the belly of the whale. Obviously not literally. But you're in a dark place. You're in a dark time. I want to show you what Jonah did and some of the principles that Jonah applied to his life. What God did through Jonah to get him out of that dark place. In fact, some of you are in a place that has been a direct result of your disobedience. Some of you are in that dark place as a result of someone else's disobedience. But whatever the case may be, you found yourself in a place that you never dreamed that you would be. You found yourself in your marriage in a place that you never thought it would be. You found yourself in a place of despair and hurting that you never dreamed you would be. Today, whether you're in that place or whether you just want to live a life that is pleasing to God, I'm going to show you some things that happened to Jonah that I think will help you on your walk. Let me pray for you. Father, today I thank you. God, I love you. These people are your people. God, may you speak to their hearts and their minds and their spirits. And God, I stand before you humbly today just wanting to be your mouthpiece. Speak through me. People not see me, but see you in me. It's in your wonderful name we pray. Amen. Hey, high five 10 people around you and say, deadliest catch. 10 people, come on. Right, here's what we're going to do with uh, the rest of our time together. I'm going to break chapter 1 into three different segments. But before we can actually do that and kind of go through it, and I'll stop, pause, we'll read a few verses, and then I'll offer some commentary. I want to just set this book up for you because I think for some of us, we get caught up in the semantics when it comes to the story of Jonah. We begin to think, well, how could a man be swallowed by a well and live in his belly for three days? Well, let me remind you of this. This is not a story about a huge fish. This is a story about a huge God. Are you with me? 
This is a story that is not about so much about the miracle in and of itself. It's about the God who can perform miracles. In fact, when I think about this miracle in context to other miracles in the Bible, I think this miracle has a lesser degree of difficulty than other miracles. Like, think about this with me for a moment. When God created the heavens and the earth through the vocalization of let there be, I'd say on the degree of difficulty that was harder, wouldn't you? When God took the Israelite people out of Egypt, parted the Red Sea, caused them to walk across on dry land, then caused the water to envelop the Egyptians so that the Israelites won their freedom without ever raising a sword to the mightiest army in the world, I would say that that is a miracle of a greater degree of difficulty. When I think about the virgin birth, I think that that miracle, Jesus being born of a virgin, is a greater miracle a greater degree of difficulty. So don't get caught up in the semantics, if you will. Another thing about Jonah is this. Jonah is the Old Testament um, equivalent, if you will, or, or prophetic pointing to the New Testament Jesus. In other words, there's some parallels between Jonah and, and Jesus. In fact, look at it this way. Jonah was in the belly of the well for three days and was presumed dead. Jesus was actually dead and in the tomb for three days. At the end of three days, Jesus walks out of a tomb, and at the end of three days, Jonah was vomited onto the beach. He was spit up, which is kind of nasty, but he was spit up onto the beach. Both of them have this resurrection experience, if you will. In fact, Jesus even points to Jonah in Matthew chapter 12, verse 41. I want you to see this. Don't turn there, but you'll see it on the screens. Jesus makes mention of Jonah and the power of of how Jonah pointed to him. It says this, it says, The men of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and now something greater than Jonah is here. Talking about himself. So there's some parallelisms there. Also, let me say this about Jonah. Jonah we can relate to. Jonah went through some difficulties that I think we can fully understand and relate to. In fact, today... At Yom Kippur, Jews gather in synagogues and they read the book of Jonah together. When they finished reading the book of Jonah, they all quote this in unison. We are Jonah. Meaning that we have similarities with Jonah. You see, the struggle that Jonah had was basically, do I let go of the ways of the world and fully embrace the ways of God? That was the story of Jonah, and that's what we are. We are Jonah. Do we let go of the ways of the world and walk in the direction that God would have us walk in? Are you with me? Let me take you now to three things that I want you to see. Look back at verse 1. I love verse 1. Verse 1 is so powerful. There's a word in verse 1 that I think I need to highlight for you. It says this. It says the... It says the... I want you to write now. Highlight, circle that word in your Bible, your mobile device. Highlight it there, if you will. The word of the Lord came to Jonah. I love that. The intimacy of the word of the Lord. It just shows us that God desires to be intimate with us. The word of the Lord. This is my first point here. And your worship directory is a little out of sync, so hang here with me. We've changed some things up this morning. Here's my first point. What are you doing with the word of the Lord. What are you doing with the word of the Lord? 
Now, I'm not talking about God's Holy Scripture. I'm not talking about Genesis to Revelations. I'm, I'm being a little deeper here. What are you doing with the Word of the Lord? Because the Word of the Lord is, is distinguishable in your life. The Word of the Lord is life-giving. It's life-changing. The Word of the, the Lord will, will place a seed in you, and that seed will begin to grow in you, and it will grow in such a way that you cannot deny its existence. And when you cannot deny its, its existence, you will then begin to fulfill what God has placed in your life. Are you with me? The Word of the Lord. In fact, you can personalize verse 1. Look back at your Bibles. I want you to say this with me. The word of the Lord came to, and put your name there, Mark. And the word of the Lord came to Mark and said, sell your business and become a pastor. That's the word of the Lord. The word of the Lord came to Amanda and said, invite your co-worker to church. The word of the Lord came to Tanya and said, work with the homeless in your culture. The word of the Lord came to Jim and said, Restore your marriage. The word of the Lord came. Do you see, what are you doing with the word of the Lord? You see, the word of the Lord for this church is to build a dream center that will reach our community and help the needs of people in our community. The word of the Lord is for us to get engaged with foster care kids. The word of the Lord is for us to embark upon the journey of Ways to Love Fayetteville, where we invest 15,000 volunteer hours in our community, showing our community that we love them. That's the word of the Lord for this church. Are you with me? The word of the Lord for this church is to look for future satellite locations and a future location that will house all of us in one facility and then move and branch out to satellite locations all around our city. That's the word of the Lord. That begins to grow in your spirit to where you cannot deny it and all of a sudden you have to act upon it. Are you with me? That's what God does. God places within you a mission. It's the word of the Lord. What are you doing with the word of the Lord? Now let me say this to you because I I want you to hear this up front, and this is probably one of the most important things you'll hear today. The word of the Lord is not for self-gratification. It's for God's glorification. Let me say that again. The word of the Lord is not for self-gratification. It's for God's glorification. Growing a big church because God gave me the vision to do so is not to bring me glory. It's to bring God glory. It doesn't have anything to do with me. It has everything to do with him. You see, the word of the Lord for you doesn't have anything to do with you. It has everything to do with bringing God glory. When God asks you to forgive someone, it doesn't have anything to do with you. It has everything to do with bringing God glory by forgiving someone. When God asks you to give sacrificially, it doesn't have anything to do with you. It has everything to do with honoring God and bringing Him glory. When God asks you to stop long enough to see that someone around you is in need and engage that need, it doesn't have anything to do with you. It has everything to do with bringing God glory. Are you with me? You see, it's what we do with the Word that authenticates your relationship with God. Let me say that again. It's what you do with the Word that authenticates your relationship with God. In other words, you can have the greatest of intentions, but if you don't place actions behind it, what good are the intentions? It is your actions that define your destination, not your intentions. Many of you walk by people every day in need, and God has placed a word in you to help them to engage in it, but yet you ignore that word. See, it's the word of God. What are you doing with the word of God? So, I want you to see this. Look at verse 2. Here's Jonah. God has come to Jonah and he says, I'm giving you a word. And here's the word. He says what? What's the first word? 
go to the great city of Nineveh. The very first thing here is engage the mission. He's giving him a duty of action. Go to the great city of Nineveh. Now, let me pause there for a minute. Go to the great city of Nineveh. Nineveh here is symbolic. We're going to talk about Nineveh in a few minutes. I'm going to tell you all about Nineveh. But at this moment, I want you to see Nineveh as the place where people are lost. The place where people are broken. The place where people need to be rescued. The place that needs God to be infused into that particular situation. It's the broken child who needs a word of encouragement from a parent. It's the homeless dude who's on the corner who needs more than just a handout. He needs a hand up. It's more than, than, than some of the things that we engage here. You see, God is, is asking you, or, or what are you doing with the word here? Let me ask you this way. What is your Nineveh? What is your Nineveh? He says, I want you to go to the city of Nineveh. It's symbolic here. What is your Nineveh? Or should I say, who is your Nineveh? Because God has placed within all of us a mission. What is your Nineveh? Can I be just brutally honest with you for a moment? God's word is more than just for auditory purposes. God's word is deeper than just hearing it. There is always an application side to God's Word. He never gives a word just for us to hear it. It's always accompanied with a command of action. But in church today, we want to go to church and we want the pastor to tickle our ears and make us feel good. But we don't want him to preach hard enough to where our feet have to do something. Hello? Don't shout me down when I'm preaching good. Listen. Y'all chose this, not me. We just, we don't want that. We, we want to feel good about who we are. We want to feel good about the word of the Lord. We want to come in and receive a blessing from the Lord. And let me just tell you something. The word is a blessing. In fact, let's celebrate the blessing of the word for a moment. Because through the word, we receive his hope. Through the word, we receive his peace. Through the word, we receive his love. Through the word, we receive his forgiveness. Through the word, we receive his mercy, his grace, his love. All of the things that we need, all of the promises are are yes and amen according to his word. It's through the word that we receive our passion. It's through the word that we receive our second chance. It's through the word that we God makes a way where there seems to be no way. It's through the word that we receive all of these things. I want to celebrate the Word of God because the Word of God is the life-changing agent. However, the Word of God doesn't stop with just hearing it. That's the problem in the church today. We get so wrapped up in hearing the Word of God. Can I tell you something? We all want the blessings of God. We just don't want the responsibilities. The burden of responsibility is equal to the weight of the blessing. Let me say that again because that's some good stuff right there. The burden of responsibility when it comes to God's word is equal to the weight of the blessing. Stop looking, listen, stop looking for God's word to come to fruition in your life if you're not willing to do God's word. He can't lie. His word is all about action. Faith without works is dead. It's his word, not not my word. It's what God's word says. And some of you are saying, well, Pastor Mark, I want to do God's will for my life. I want to engage the mission of God for my life. However, the mission of God seems to be too big for me. It's too much. It's too hard. It's too dangerous. That's right. 
the word of God for your life, the mission of God for your life will always be uncomfortable. It will always be dangerous. And it will always be very, very difficult. You know why? Because if it were easy, you'd take the credit for it. If it were explainable, you'd take the credit for what happened in your life. God likes to do the unexplainable things. That way, you can't take the credit for it, and He receives the glory for it. Are you with me? That's what's going on here with Jonah. Jonah is in that position. In fact, look with me at verse 3. So we see verse 2, we see some things that have happened there, but go back to verse 2. Let me, let me back up and, and spend a little more time here. I want you to see this. It says, go to the great city of Nineveh. So that's the first action. The second, it says, and what? Preach. Again, I want you to personalize this. And preach. Some of you are not called to preach. However, some of you may be called to preach. Maybe you've been called to teach. Maybe you've been called to become a missionary. Maybe you've been called to be a parent. Maybe you've been called to be a godly employee. Maybe God said, go to the city of Fayetteville. Maybe, who is or what is your Nineveh? Maybe you haven't been called to preach, but you've been called to run for mayor. Maybe you haven't been called to go on the mission field, but you've been called to help someone who is your neighbor. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because, here's why, here's why, look, look what it says. Because its wickedness has come up before me. Can I tell you something about Nineveh? Jonah didn't want to go to Nineveh. Jonah did not want to have anything to do with Nineveh. Now, let me tell you why. Nineveh was an awesome city. It had great architectural structure. In fact, the Bible and history tells us that Nineveh was so large that it would take three days to walk from one side of the city to the other. Incredible architecture. The problem is Nineveh was extremely wicked. And I'm going to try to keep this as G-rated as I possibly can. <laughs> but the Ninevites, if you opposed them or if they didn't like you or they wanted to make an example of you, they would take you and skin you alive, plant you in the ground, up to your chin, take a tongue extractor and pull your tongue out, put a board beneath your chin and nail your tongue into that board. Then they would rape the wives and the children of the person that they just did that to. After they finished that, they would behead them all and throw their heads outside of the gate of the city to warn others, this is who we are. Talking about wicked Jonah didn't want to have anything to do with that. Jonah's like, don't want to go there. And the icing on the cake for Jonah is that Jonah was an Israelite and Ninevites hated Israelites. And God is asking him to go somewhere that is dangerous? Come on, what? He didn't want to have anything to do with that. Listen, God will always call you to something that is uncomfortable. When it comes to meeting the need, it will always be uncomfortable. When it comes to doing things for God, it will always be bigger than you. The Dream Center is bigger than us. Multiple locations is bigger than us. All of the things that God has called us to do, like 15,000 ways to love, it's bigger than us. It's going to cause us to be uncomfortable at times. But that's the way God works. He wants to see if you're going to do His Word. And it authenticates your relationship with Him. You see, Nineveh, our Nineveh, is Fayetteville. 
300 plus thousand people, 310,000 people live in and around our city. Statistics tell us that two-thirds of the world does not know Christ. If we use that filter, that two-thirds of the world does not know Christ, that means that in our city alone there are 210,824 people who do not know Jesus. Future epicenturians. Hello? That's the harvest field. That's our Nineveh. What are we going to do about it? What are you doing with the word of the Lord? Nineveh was Jonah's mission field. It was what God had called him to do. So let's see what he does. Look now with me at verse 3. I want you to see this. Verse 3 says, But Jonah, he ran away from the Lord, and he headed for Tarshish. Hold on a second. Time out. I think we can understand something here, but, but first let me take you to my second point, and then let me break this apart. When you ignore the word of the Lord, it's rebellion. Let me say that to you. When you ignore the word of the Lord, it's rebellion. I, I don't care how big the word is or how small the word is. When you ignore the word of the Lord, it is rebellion. Here he is. Look back at verse 3. I want you to see this. It says, so the word of the Lord came to him. It says, but Jonah ran from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Now, let me just keep that verse up for a moment and let me just break this verse apart because I began to study this verse. I wanted to find out why Tarshish. God doesn't just use words just to fill up the pages of the Bible, so why Tarshish? What I discovered is that that particular city was in the exact opposite direction from Nineveh. In fact, it was the exact opposite geographical location. There were 1,500 miles in between Tarshish and Nineveh. Jonah couldn't go any further away from Nineveh than Tarshish. That was the furthest port away. Doesn't that sound like us? Think about it for a minute. Here God has called us to go in this direction and we're like, mm, don't want to do that. Go in this direction. God has called us to go to Nineveh, but yet it seems to be easier for us to go to Tarshish. We want to hang out doing our own personal agenda. Let me show you something else that's really cool here. You'll love this part. Look at the end of verse 3. It says, so he went aboard and he sailed for Tarshish and to flee from the what? In some of your manuscripts, it says to flee from the presence of the Lord. In fact, that was the original language. In the Hebrew, it said to flee from the presence of the Lord. The presence of the Lord in the Hebrew is the word panim. Here's what's cool. The word panim actually means the face of God. Hold on, because this is where it gets really good. So I'm reading this, and I'm studying this, and I'm thinking, okay, he wanted to flee from the face of, of God. I begin to think about, my kids when they do wrong things. When your kids do wrong things, what do they do? And you grab them and you begin to talk to them and they're looking everywhere but at you. They're close enough for you to still touch them, but they just do not want the conviction of your facial expression. That's where he was at. He was like, I'm going to Tarshish. I want the blessings of God. I just don't want the facial expressions of God because I don't want the conviction in my life. He's fleeing the presence of God. Now, now, grab this with me. And he's fleeing the presence of God over his own personal agenda. Let me explain this. We find out later in chapter 4 that Jonah didn't want to go to Nineveh for two reasons. 
Number one, he was scared for his life. But number two, he didn't want God to forgive the Ninevites. He didn't want God to forgive them at all. Let me say this. Your personal agenda will cause you to say no to God. If your personal agenda does not line up with God's, it will cause you to say no to God. This was his personal agenda. He was scared and he didn't want God to forgive them. And he knew God would forgive them because he knew God was a God of grace. And he did not want God to forgive these wicked people. Instead, he wanted God to judge them. How do you like that? Here is this man of God who doesn't understand grace and he wants God to judge them. Some of you right now are saying, I can't believe, I can't believe Jonah, this man of God, this prophet of God would want God to judge these people. That's so harsh. Well, stop polishing your halo long enough to understand the church today does the same thing. We see the needs of others and we know that reaching the lost requires a ton of effort. So it seems to be easier than reach them. We just judge them. It's easier to ignore the need rather than see the need and fill it. See the hurt and heal it. It's easier for us to ignore our surroundings and judge our surroundings because to engage in it is going to cost us something. The church today is the same way. That's why he did not want to go. Some of us think that grace is all about us. Grace has nothing to do with you. It has everything to do with God. If your mentality is us for and no more, you have missed the very meaning and the foundation of the gospel. It is not about selfishness. It is about selflessness. You see, Jonah didn't fully understand this. In fact, I have a theory. I don't know if you know this or not, but 80 churches across America close their doors every week. 80. I have a theory as to why that is. Because churches today are following a personal agenda instead of the presence of God. They're wanting the hand of God, the blessing of God, but they're not wanting the facial expression of God. They don't want the conviction of God because the conviction of God is going to bring change. The blessing of God is just, God bless us. We all want to hang out in that blessing area, follow our own personal agenda, and because of it, churches today are dying while the lost all around us are dying and missing the opportunity. Why? Because we're not fulfilling our mission. Now, let me get a little more specific with you here because I think this is where the rubber meets the road. Some of you are doing the same thing. You're calling yourselves Christ followers, but yet you're in, engaged in an inappropriate relationship that you know is not God's will, but you're not going to do anything about it. Therefore, you're telling him no, which means you're in rebellion. Some of you, God has asked you to become a sacrificial giver, and you're telling him no, and because you're telling him no, you're in rebellion. Some of you, God has asked you to be more engaged be more engaged in his church. Be more engaged in the work of Christ. Be more engaged. But you're like, I'm too busy. And when I'm not so busy, I will engage with it. Can, can I tell you something? If busyness is your barometer as to whether or not you want to get involved, you're in rebellion. It's just that simple. you to see the next verse. Look with me at verse 4. 
Well, go back to verse 3. Can I take an extra minute or two? Can I do that? I'm going to anyway. Something about verse 3 that I think we can relate to. It says, but Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa where he found a ship bound for the port. When I read that, a light bulb went off for me because I was thinking, wow. When he got to to Joppa, he found a boat that was heading in the opposite direction of Nineveh. I began to think, when we choose to rebel against God, the enemy will always provide a boat that will take you in the opposite direction. And you'll think that boat is from God. Maybe I miss God. Maybe I didn't hear from God. Maybe God doesn't want me to do what I was thinking He wanted me to do because this seems to be the easy way out and God provided the easy way out. I I must have had an indigestion and missed God on that last deal. We so think that, oh, here, this seems to be a way out. This feels good, so I'm going to take this way. In fact, there are many times that I talk to people and they'll say, why am I having these difficulties in my life? And I'll just say, hey, can I shoot honest with you? You're out of God's will. You're not living God's ways. And what you're doing is wrong. And they'll say, well, if it's wrong, why does it feel so right? Well, why don't you ask Eve that question? Because she thought the fruit felt so right. Can I tell you something? The Bible says that sin is crouching at the door. And when you walk through it, it's going to pounce upon you. It may feel good, but when you go through that door and it begins to take you away from God, all of a sudden you'll realize that you're in a place you've never wished It's crazy how it just seems to happen that way. When he gets to Joppa, there is a boat not heading towards Nineveh. It's heading in the opposite direction. Wow. Look at the next verse, verse 4. It says, Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea and such a violent storm it arose, and the ship threatened to break up. Five. All the sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his own God, and they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. Jonah had gone below deck where he had laid down and fell into a deep sleep. Listen, this is symbolic here. The imagery that's being painted, you've got to grab this. What he's telling us is that Jonah fell into a, like a spiritual sleep. How many of you know that we fall asleep spiritually sometimes? There are some times that we're really close to God and we're on fire for God, but there are other times that we're just kind of waiting and drifting away from God. It's what I call the spiritual drift. It's when those issues come up in our lives and rather than addressing them, we just live with them and they become huge problems and calamity for us later. It's being spiritually asleep. Like I said, I call it the drift. And again, I'm going to keep this G-rated, but it's it's like casual sex at 18 and cervical cancer at 28. It's the drift. It's like at 21, you're drinking occasionally and you drift and you drift and you drift. And at 31, you're a full-blown alcoholic. It's having a lust problem that you refuse to address and you drift and you drift and you drift and you drift and it's broken marriages and relationships later in life. It's called the drift. You've got to guard against it. You've got to guard against it. Look at the next verse. Verses 6 through 10, it says... The captain went to him and he said, how can you sleep? Why don't you get up and call upon your God? Maybe he will take notice of us so that we will not perish. 
verse 7. Then the sailors said to each other, come, let us cast lots. Let's find out who is responsible for this calamity. And the lots that fell upon Jonah. Verse 8. So they asked him, why don't you tell us just who is responsible for making all of this trouble for us? Did you grab that? Who's responsible for making all of this trouble for us? Let me tell you something. Do not be so arrogant and self-centered to think that your sin, your disobedience does not affect others. Your disobedience will always affect others. If you have sin in your finances, it will kill your finances. If you have sin in your relationships, it will kill your relationships. If you have sin in your marriage, it will kill your marriage. If you have sin on the job, you will wonder why you cannot accomplish what God wants you to accomplish. Are you with me? Do not dare think that your disobedience only affects you because it does not. In fact, I am so fearful in my own personal life that I would be disobedient to God and it would cause others to miss heaven. That's one of the scariest things for me in my life. Here's the third thing. Let me just jump to it for the sake of time. The third concept is why did God use storms and why did God use fish? Why? Well, let me show you something. Look with me at verses 11 and following. Verse 11 says says this it says the sea was getting rougher and rougher so they asked him what should we do to you to make the sea calm down for us he said pick me up and throw me into the sea and it will become calm and I know that it's my fault this great storm has come upon you instead the men did their best to row back to land but they could not for the sea grew wilder and wilder verse 14 then they cried out to the Lord please Lord do not let us die for taking this man's life Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man. For you, Lord, have done as you please. Verse 15. Then they took Jonah, they threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. Here's verse 16. I think this is the key verse. It says, as the men greatly feared the Lord, or at this they greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. In other words, here's the beauty of this verse. Up until this moment, remember, none of them served the one true God. They had multiple gods. But at this particular experience, they see that Jonah's God is the one true God. You see, God will use pain and calamity in your life to get your attention. God will use pain and difficulty in your life, if you will, to show you the need that we have for Him. God will use those difficulties, those seasonal things that happen in our lives to grab our attention, to show that we need Him. In fact, the more that I read this and studied this, God put this in my spirit, and I wrote it down in my spiritual journal, and and that is this. I want to share it with you. God will use our afflictions to change our convictions. That's what's so cool about it. These guys saw the pain of the storm and all of a sudden they realized that God was the one true God. Here's the thing. God will take your finances and the difficulty that you're having in your finances, it's there so that you will see the need to have God in your finances. God will take the difficulty in your marriage to show you that you need Him in the middle of your marriage. He will use the difficulty in your relationships to show you that you need Him in your relationships. 
Here's the deal. So many people look at the book of Jonah and they think it's a book of retribution. Payback for our sin. Nope. In fact, God used the storm not as payback for sin. God used the storm to bring them back from their sin. It's not retribution for God. It's restoration. Are you with me? Some of you need to hear that. It's not retribution. God will use the storm in your life not to pay you back for the calamity that you may have caused, for the disobedience that you may be under, but He will use the storm not to pay you back, but to bring you back to Him. God desires relationship with you more than anything else. Can I do one more thing? Can I? Stand to your feet. I'm going to. This was an add-in this morning because I think this is where many of you are at. Go to chapter 3. No one turned there, but you look at this when you get home. In fact, I challenge all of you to read this. Chapter 3 has some incredible things that happen in it. Chapter 2, I don't want to leave Jonah in the belly of the well. Here he's been swallowed up in chapter 1 in verse 17. He's hanging out in the belly of the well. In chapter 2, Jonah kind of gives up life and you begin to read it. Jonah writes this prayer. It's a prayer at the beginning. It looks like Jonah's kind of like, God, take me. I want to die. At the end of three days, Jonah realizes that he's not going to die. All he's going to do is stink. And he begins to realize that God is the real deal. And so he's like, God, okay, I, I want to live for you. Chapter 3, something so powerful happens. In fact, let me just say this. Some of you in here, God has given you a mission and you've made some mistakes. You've gotten off course. You've found yourself in disobedience and you thought that maybe all of those problems aborted the very thing that He placed within you. And that maybe you can't be used by God anymore. That maybe you're too far off course to even be used by God. So you've settled for much lesser existence. This is what I love about God's Word. Look at chapter 3, verse 1. It says, Then the Word of the Lord came to Jonah. A what? God's a God of do-overs. He's a God of mulligans. He's a God of second chances, third chances, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth. The word that God has for you, for the healing in your marriage. Don't give up on it. Because God hasn't given up on you. He'll come to you again and again and again and again. In fact, many of you know my personal testimony I'm not going to bore you with that again but I will say this I'm thankful in my life that God came back to me for a second time see I knew early on that I was called into the ministry I just didn't want to have anything to do with it I didn't go into the ministry full time until I was 35 years old a little over 7 years ago but I knew very early in my life that God had created me for that mission. And so I finished college. I go into the business world. And 
began to do my own agenda. My own thing, my own agenda, my own personal things. And then I began to compromise with God. And I said, God, I'll, I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll, I'll use my business to help further your kingdom. I'll even sing and I'll go to places and preach. And so I would do all of these different things, these different venues and sing at churches and travel and do all of these things and lead worship and do all of these other things that I thought was fulfilling the mission that God had gave me. But to be honest with you, I knew deep down that it wasn't. Then I got so far away from it, I was thinking, God can't use me that way anymore, that that's for a day that's gone by. But then God came back to me again and said, this is what I created you for. Today, the word of the Lord is coming back to you for a second time. For some of you, 55th time. But the point is, God won't leave you in the belly because he created you for the mountaintop. And today I want you to experience what God has for you. Bow your heads. Hi. Thank you so much for joining us on our internet campus today. We'd love to hear how this message blessed you. You can send an email to admin at yourepicenter.com. You also have the ability to donate to this ministry if you go to www.yourepicenter.com. Again, thank you for joining us and have a wonderful day.